thank you so much for joining the Faith Chapel podcast. Wherever you may be joining us from, we hope that you know that you are loved and that this message encourages you throughout your week. We are going through, we have started going through the book of Mark. And uh, as we start heading through the book of Mark, it's the first letter written to those early Christians, the oldest book in the New Testament. And Mark wants to get this out quickly, and so he does this very quick assessment of what's really important. He does this highlight reel of Jesus' life. If you're a sports fan like me, you might turn to ESPN, and you know they might show a touchdown here, field goal here, sack the quarterback here, another field goal here, right? Defensive stop on fourth and one, touchdown here, and the game ended 28-24. And you got it all in like 30, sec- you know, 30 seconds for that one game. Well, there's a lot that happened in that game other than what they showed you, but those were the highlights. Well, that's what Mark has done. Mark has chosen to take some highlights out of all the things that have happened in Jesus' life and ministry. He said, I want to get this to you as quick as possible for the sole reason, in your notes, for the sole reason, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The climax is in chapter 15, where those that are around his his cross, those that had put him to death, those that had nailed him to the cross, or those that were there that had bartered for his last pieces of clothes, the last things that he owned, they stepped back and they said, truly you are the son of God. Mark is trying to give us these witnesses, this testimony that, his, that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He is the son of God. I've heard people say, well, the Bible never declares that Jesus is the son of God. I go, you're not reading the book because it's in the book. Jesus is the son of God. He's the Messiah. And we start today in Mark chapter one, verse nine. It's a familiar passage of scripture. In fact, it's so familiar. Here's what I bet. If you took me up on the challenge from last week, the assignment where you're going to read through the book of Mark in one setting, if you haven't done that, go ahead and do that this week. It takes a little less than an hour because you're so familiar with this portion of scripture. You just read through this to get to the other stuff. Like, I want to get through this to get to the good stuff, where Jesus does the miracles, where the great things begin to happen, where all these incredible things take place. I'm, I'm going to do that. And you might have missed some of the three most significant events in Christ's life. And Mark puts them right here at the beginning. It's right here in verse 9. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And at once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. Three significant events that take place, and then I'm going to follow that with three life applications for you today. The first significant event is this, that Jesus was baptized by John. Now, we learned last week that John's baptism was a baptism of what? A baptism of repentance, and it came through the confession of sin. People came to him, and they confessed their sin, and they were baptized. It was a baptism of repentance for the confession of sin. They recognized, in other words, that they were sinners, and then they needed to change. Do you see a problem here? Jesus is God. 
Jesus is the spotless lamb of God. He is sinless. In fact, when he shows up, John acknowledges this. He goes, you don't need to be baptized by me. I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not how it's going to go down. We're not going to do that today. I need you to baptize me. And John's like, what do you mean? And Jesus says, the reason why I need to be baptized is because in your notes now, is it's going to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus gives us the first reason. It's in Matthew chapter three and 15. You can look at it later, but he said, listen, we need to do this so that we can fulfill all righteousness. So you might be asking then, then why did he need to be baptized if it wasn't a baptism of repentance? And again, obviously that his baptism was different than ours. What did it mean to fulfill all righteousness? Well, Jesus was born under the law. He was circumcised as an infant under the law. He became a son of the law at age 12. He paid his temple tax according to the law. Now stop here. If anybody could be exempt from the temple tax or some of these things, it would be Jesus. Are you with me? Like, why am I paying a tithe to myself? I mean, I've already got it, right? I mean, if anybody didn't need to do these things, it would be God. God didn't need to do, he didn't need to do these things. But because he was born in the law, because he submitted himself to the law, because he came to not abolish the law or to nullify the law, but actually to fulfill the law, he needed to be baptized. Jesus knew that the law demanded that anybody that was going to be consecrated and set apart for works of service in ministry had to be baptized. They did it through the washing of water. It was a ritual. They went into the mikvah. They went all the way down. They're completely surrounded by water and they would come out and then they were pronounced ceremonial clean for service unto the Lord. And Jesus knew that in order to fulfill righteousness, he would have to go down into the waters of baptism, come up to be declared that he was now ready for service of the Lord. In fact, that's why he waited until he was ready to start his earthly ministry to be baptized. He did it because he was now acceptable for service. It was to fulfill the law, to fulfill all righteousness. But there's a second reason. There's actually three or four, but we're going to look at these two. And I think this is equally as important in your notes to identify himself with sinners. You see, sinners were coming to the Jordan to confess their sins, and it was an outward sign of their faith. And Jesus came to identify himself with sinners so that through that identification, he might become their substitute. As they identified with what was happening, he would become their substitute. Let me just stop and say, if you've not been baptized, in two weeks we're going to be we're going to have a baptismal service. It's in, it's, in your, uh, it's in the app, and you can click that and let us know you want to be baptized. You've never been baptized. Follow the Lord's leading and be baptized. Amen. It is an outward sign of an inward commitment. It is a public confession to you and your family. In fact, I would encourage you to invite your family and friends and say, listen, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm going to make it public. I want you to be there and let them see what God has done in your life. Maybe you've come back to God or maybe you're baptized as a child. You really didn't understand it and, and God's working in your life. I encourage you to be baptized. Two weeks from today, we're going to have a baptismal service. You can let us know that. It's in the app. Click baptism and fill that form out. But listen, Jesus, he identifies with, with those who are sinners so that we could also come and be made the righteousness of Christ. Look, look at what it says. When Jesus came up out of the water, when Jesus came up out of the water, this is the second significant event. 
So baptism, second event. Jesus was coming up out of the water. He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending upon him like a what? Like a dove. And what was descending upon him? It was the spirit, like a dove. It wasn't a dove, in other words. It was like a dove. We can't put it to words. This is the closest thing we have. So it was like a dove, but it was the spirit that was descending upon him like a dove. Now we know that from the early on that John the Baptist and Jesus, they were moved by the spirit, well, even when they're in their mother's womb. And the spirit of God comes down upon him now. He is, number two in your notes, empowered by the spirit. In fact, we know this because it says that he was led by the spirit. We're gonna look at it in just a moment, into the wilderness. He was led, spirit led, spirit filled. He was directed by the spirit, empowered by the spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter five and verse 18 that you and I need to be filled with the spirit. Just as Jesus was empowered by the Spirit, you and I need to be empowered or filled with the Spirit. How many know there's only certain things that we can do through the Spirit of God in our lives? In fact, Jesus reminded us, he said, without me, you can do nothing. That's a strong statement. He said, you can't do anything apart from me, but with me, you can do all things. I wanna be on the side where I can do all things, amen. I want to be on the side of if there's a near miracle that's needed, that God would use me to bring that miracle. If there's a word that's needed, I'll bring that word. If there's healing that's needed, I'll bring that healing. Because God's spirit can bring that about through any person, can bring it about through you and I in our lives. And so we need to be filled with the spirit. In Ephesians, that word filled means continually filled. It's not a one-time thing. We don't come down, we give our life to Christ, we get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, we begin to speak in other tongues, and then we walk away, and we don't need it anymore. No, no, no. We need fresh endowment of power every day of our life. Come on. That's why we pray in the Spirit. That's why we have a devotional life. That's why we have to be filled and continually be filled with the Spirit. Let me go through this with you so you understand a little better. In Mark chapter one, he says, I'm gonna baptize you. This is John. I'm gonna baptize you in water, but he, talking about Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's different from what I'm doing here. And in Matthew chapter three and verse 23, it's the same in Luke 3, 17, it says, I will baptize you, he will baptize you rather, with the Holy Spirit and with what? And with fire. How many of you know that's a different baptism than a baptism of water? He's talking about something completely different. He said, I'm baptizing you right now in water. But when Jesus comes, he's the baptizer. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John gives us this testimony. He said, and John gave this testimony, John 1.33. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Who are we talking about? Jesus, right? The Spirit came down and rested upon him. He said, I saw the dove come down and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one who takes away the sin of the world. He's gonna baptize with the Holy Spirit. Here's what we need to know, and we're gonna to go to it later in later verses, but I wanted to give you these four things because I think it's so important. Again, we read over this so quickly in Jesus' life. Here he is being baptized. It's important that he fulfilled the law and righteousness. It's important that we acknowledge here that Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, received the Holy Spirit for ministry. And the spirit baptism in your notes, we need to understand that John predicted it. He said, this is going to happen. That the, there's going to be one that comes and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Number two, Jesus promised it to everyone. 
The notes are there, or the verses are there in your notes. You can look those up later. But he promised that everyone can be filled with this Holy Spirit, with the promise of the Holy Spirit, that he wanted to baptize you in that. Number three, Jesus said to persist until you receive it. I know some of you have been here for a while, and you're like, I've tried, and it didn't work for me. I've tried a couple, and it doesn't work. Can I tell you that you're to persist until you receive it? Let me tell you how important this is. To the early church after Jesus' ascension to heaven, he spoke this one last word to them. He said, listen, I want you to stay right here and don't do anything, don't go anywhere, don't try to do ministry until one thing happens. What was that one thing? The Holy Spirit fell. He said, then when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, when you receive the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, then you and only then will you be able to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, Acts 1.8. He said, you need to tarry here until you get this thing because in the days to come, you won't be able to survive unless you have the empowerment that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And number four, the Holy Spirit brought power and anointing. Again, we're going to it in detail later on, but I wanted you to know this today, that Jesus, he is modeling this for us. He said, listen, I'm going to be spirit-filled. I'm going to be spirit-led. And the Father speaks, and he sends the Spirit, and it falls upon him like a dove. And he needed, he needed the Holy Spirit, or he submitted, rather, to operating under the power of the Holy Spirit as an example for you and I in our lives and our ministries. We need the Holy Spirit working in our life. How many of you know? If we're going to overcome sin, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be conquerors more than conquerors in this world, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to continue to thrive in this world, even when all around us are not, we need the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that enriches us, that empowers us, that gives us what we need, that unction for service, that power to lead people to Christ, because it's God working in us, not us. It's God working in us, and that's why we need it. And I encourage you, there's not a better time than right now. Can I just hit the pause button on the message and just get your attention for a moment? Tomorrow we start 21 days of fasting and 40 days of reset. Maybe one of the greatest things you could be praying about in this 21 days, remember I told you to write them down? Maybe the one of the things that you should write down that you're praying for is, God, I wanna be filled to the fullness of God with your Holy Spirit. And be fasting and praying that God will send his Holy Spirit and fill you preciously with that Holy Spirit so that you can be endued with power from on high. We all need the Holy Spirit. Coming into this time of resetting our lives, recalibrating, getting new balance into our life, making Christ preeminent in our life. We're gonna fast and we're gonna pray. And maybe we ought to be praying, God, send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit, we need you. The third significant thing that happens here that we know about, so we gloss over really quickly, is that Jesus was tempted by Satan. He was tempted by Satan. N Notice, it was the Spirit that sent him out. And at once, the Spirit sent him out to go and be tested or to be tempted. He said, well, that's because he was Jesus, so that's why that took place, right? And we'll talk about this in a moment when we get in the application section, but I wanted to focus just today, I felt like this number 40. Why is 40 keep coming up? Why is it so significant? He went out for 40 days, and he fasted, and we're fasting for 21. You can go 40 if you want to as we get into this Daniel fast. But he fasted for 40 days, and he was seeking to do God's will, 
Moses, he was tending Jethro's flock for 40 years. Moses led the people of Israel around the wilderness for 40 years. Jonah declared that Nineveh would be destroyed and declared a fasting and a time of praying. In 40 days, it would happen. The judges ruled for 40 years. The first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon, all reigned approximately about 40 years each. Abraham pleaded with God to save Sodom over 40 righteous people. Noah was in the ark while it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Very good. Not a trick question. Good job. And the Bible was written by 40 different authors. So why does this keep coming up? Why does this keep coming up over and over? Old, New Testament. Why does it keep coming? What does it mean? Well, they say that it means a time of testing followed by deliverance. Can, can I tell you, the reason why we're doing a 40-day reset, and I've always done this in my life, anytime I wanted to change an attitude, I wanted to change a behavior in my life, I always did it for 40 days. They used to tell us that 21 days, you, you, you do anything for 21 days, you create a habit. Anybody heard that? Can, now all the experts say, no, we were wrong. Guess how many days it takes? They say, now you have to do it for 40 days. I said, so the Bible's been right all along, Amen. And maybe for some of you, as this 40-day reset, you're going to develop new habits, new attitudes, new perspective, new spiritual disciplines that will carry on way beyond the 40 days where it's going to feel like a time of testing. But can I tell you, at the end, there'll be a deliverance, that you'll be set free, that the word of God will become alive that the spirit of God will become alive, that his voice will be sweeter, that his voice will be clearer, that you will be able to know and recognize what God is trying to do in your life. This 40-day reset is so incredibly important. It starts tomorrow, 5 a.m. It'll be on the app. You can click on it. Something every single day, body, soul, and spirit for 40 days. So what are the life lessons? What do we look upon? Let me, let me give you these real quick and we'll let you go home. Three life lessons. The first one is this. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to actually sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's just a sin to actually sin. Again, when you look at it, Mark, it says he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He, he, was, he was being tempted. We, we are tempted. How many of you have been, ever been tempted before? in your life. Anybody? That's probably everyone. How many of you today? Some of you are watching from home because you were tempted not to come to church. Shame on you. See you next week. Right? Everybody here is welcoming you saying, let's go. But whatever your temptation was, whatever it is, right? Whatever that temptation was, I want you to know it's not a sin to be tempted. You are going to be tempted. It is a sin to sin and fall into that temptation. And Jesus is modeling this, but Jesus is something far better than us. Even though he was tempted, one of my favorite passages, Hebrews chapter four and 15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. In other words, let me say it in the positive. We have a great high priest who is able to sympathize and empathize with us in our moments of weakness and temptation. That's way better, I think. If I was writing scripture, I'd put it that way. Aren't you glad I didn't write it? Amen, right? But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Stop right there. Some of you feel betrayed this morning. Jesus was betrayed. Some of you feel 
that somebody else has let you down, or maybe you're feeling depressed or you feel anxious. Jesus has felt those things. Maybe, maybe you feel hungry. You're like, Pastor, get the message done. We got reservations. Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty. Jesus was tired. Maybe you're here and you're wore out. See, we have a God who knows all that we have gone through, knows every single one of our testings and our temptations. What's it going to say? He was just like us, but yet he did not, he didn't sin. When we stumble and fall, he didn't. When we've done some things that we wish we wouldn't, he, he didn't in those moments. When we said things that we wish we could pull back, we wish we could just suck them back into our lungs somehow, he didn't say those things. See, in every way that he was tempted, just like we are, he didn't sin, even though we have. So when temptation comes, I want you to know, it's not a sin to be tempted. We're all going to be tempted. The strength comes in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he's given us the Holy Spirit that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It allows us to walk above temptation, allows us to say no to temptation. And by the way, that's why God brought personal conviction into our life. You know, some of you have a a personal conviction about doing certain things and somebody else in your life doesn't have that same personal conviction. You know why? Because that's not their area of weakness. Years ago in the church, it used to be popular that whatever the personal conviction was of the pastor, that became the personal conviction of the entire congregation. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you have been in church a while. He would get on a soapbox and start saying this, and then everybody had to follow it. That's not the way it works. See, my convictions are not your convictions. And by the way, you need to give some latitude to your spouse because their convictions may not be your convictions. Come on. We can't force our convictions on our spouse or anybody else, especially our children. We need to prayerfully understand what God is doing in their life and ask God for the wisdom and the empowerment to help those children grow up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Asking them, what is God speaking to your life? What is God speaking to you? What are the things that God is saying are your, your convictions, things that you shouldn't get around? Those are your weak areas. We want to help you. Let's provide some accountability. Here's dads. Here's moms. What are yours? Let's be transparent. But I don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody else if I know my spouse is struggling over here and it's something I'm able to do. I'm not going to do it around her. Come on. Why would I want to be a stumbling block to my spouse? See, when we're tempted, we're tempted in different ways because we have different weaknesses. That's why God gives us a personal conviction. And let me just stop and say, maybe you're here and you don't even know what your personal conviction is. Can I just say that's scary? And you should be sore afraid, as scripture calls it. You should take this serious. Because if you have an ongoing walk with God, I promise you, there's going to be some things because he knows you full well, that he says, those are some friends you might not, you shouldn't have in your life. Here's some places you shouldn't go. Maybe this is some music you shouldn't listen. Maybe there's some programming you shouldn't watch. Maybe there's some things you need to add to your faith so that you can be built up. And it's going to be different, as I said, for all of us. And you need to have that in your life because that's God's way of helping you be successful in this world and live above temptation. Do you receive that? Say amen. Number two, sometimes the center of God's will is in the middle of the storm. 
Sometimes the center of God's will is in the middle of the storm. I, I, again, when I, I read that years ago, this passage in Mark, and at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. I'm like, really? Like the Spirit of God says, Jesus, you're, go out here for 40 days, fast, and when you're at your weakest moment, when you haven't had food for 40 days, when, you, when, when, you've, when you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're wanting this to get over. I read some of your posts when we go through the Daniel fast, and you can eat fruits and vegetables. And by the end of that, you're going, I tried to almost cheat it today, right? I went by a cheeseburger place and I almost ordered one. God help me though, God help me. Jesus went 40 days without food. And he's at his absolute weakest moment. I'm like, and the spirit told him to go do that. At your weakest moment, sometimes you're in the middle, you're in the middle of a storm. The center of God's will is in the middle of a storm. You remember when Jesus calms the storm? He's asleep in the boat, remember that? The Bible talks about these great waves coming out. I mean, these are huge waves that were coming over the boat, filling the boat with water. The disciples literally were fearful of their lives. They thought the boat was going to drown in the middle of the sea and that they were going to drown with it. And they couldn't believe that Jesus was over here taking a nap in the middle of all this. And they finally get his attention. And he's like, you have little faith. I know we're in the middle of a storm. I'm with you. Do you think I'm going to let this happen? And he stands up and he goes, peace, be still. And immediately everything became calm. In the middle of the storm, he's with you. In the middle of the storm, he can turn it around in a moment's notice. In the middle of a storm, there's a miracle that's on the other side. In the middle of a storm, you're going to see the hand of God work. In the middle of a storm, you're going to see the provision of God. In the middle of the storm, God is there. Remember the 23rd Psalm, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even in you're in that place where death is apparent, guess what? He said, you're with me. Your rod and your staff are with me. You're with me. Your presence is with me. It says in 1 Peter 4, 12, dear friends, don't be surprised about the fiery ordeal that has come upon you. They're obviously going through something pretty, hor- pretty horrendous. He said, this is a fiery ordeal. Anybody sign up for that one today? Right? You went back to the back and say, I want to sign up for the fiery ordeal ministry. I want to put my feet to the fire to really test my faith. He said, that's come upon you. Why has it come upon you? To test you as though something strange were happening to you. He goes, nothing strange is going on here. There's nothing weirds happening. There's nothing, nothing out of the abnormal going on. Listen, why are you, why are you, why are you reacting that way? He's telling him. He goes, this has come on you to test you and realize that God is with you and you're in the middle of God's will. And number three, lastly, is a blessed life is not necessarily an easy life. How many of you want your life to be blessed? Like we all raise our hands, like, all, like yeah, I want a blessed life. And if I were to tell you right now that like, you know, like you remember the story we just came out of the season of Christmas, angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and said, you're blessed and highly favored in God's eyes. And she went, great. And if that happened to you tonight, you'd be like, where's the new car? Where do I get it? Where's the keys? Is it in the driveway? Still in the ignition? Is it a new house? Where's the, where's the, where's the title? You know, I got a new job. Great. When I show up tomorrow, you mean that means I'm going to walk in and go, hey, we made you the president of the company. Like, hey, I am blessed and I'm highly favored. Somehow that has crept into our theology. 
that if we are blessed and highly favored, then that means that everything's going to be smooth and easy. Let's go back to the Christmas story. You're blessed and you're highly favored. She's like, awesome. Oh, wait a minute. I'm pregnant? I haven't been with anybody. How's that even possible? You mean because I'm blessed and highly favored, my entire community is going to turn on me and call me names and threaten to take me out and stone me and kill me? That doesn't sound like blessed and highly favored in our theology today. Do you mean that because this is such a blessed and highly favored moment, my fiance is going to think I cheated on him and want to leave me? You mean because I'm so blessed and I'm so highly favored that at nine months pregnant, I have to get on a donkey and travel several miles and have this child that's supposed to be your child in a barn surrounded by animals? That's not very clean. Angel, are you sure that I'm blessed and highly favored? You sure this isn't cursed? And you mean I'm blessed and highly favored and I'm going to follow Jesus's ministry when they try to stone him and he walks through the crowd and I'm there in those last moments where they pull out his beard, they put a crown of thorns upon his brow where they flog him on his back and pull pieces of flesh from his being when they make him carry his own cross to a hill called Golgotha when he willingly lies down and I see and I'm standing there as his mother watching them nail the, his hands, those nails through his hands and his feet. You mean I'm blessed and highly favored to watch my son die a horrific death for no reason? Because he was perfect. Is that blessed and highly favored? Because we know the rest of the story. We can go, Mary, no, you don't understand that you are blessed and highly favored, but there's not going to be another woman that's ever walked this planet before you or after you that will have the experience of you, like your experience, where the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you're gonna give birth to God himself and that God picked you out of all the moms in the entire world that has ever lived to be the one that would take baby Jesus in her arms and nurse that child and be there for that child to change that child and to keep that child warm and to be there when that child takes his first step and to teach that child how to speak, to teach that child the ways of God. You're the one that is so blessed and highly favored that God knew that he could count on you to do all of those things. But I bet it didn't feel that way for her when she went through it. And I'm just here to remind you that the blessed life is not necessarily the easy life. That all the disciples, nearly all the disciples lost their lives because they followed Jesus. That the Old Testament prophets, many of them lost their lives because they brought a word of prophecy to a church that needed to hear it, but they didn't want to hear it, so they put them to death. It's not always an easy life. Now I ask you again, how many of you want to be blessed and highly favored? See, because I believe that the best place to be is in the center of God's will, whatever that might be. And so I want to be blessed. 
I, I want to have that working in, in my life. You see, as we look down through these three things, I know I need the spirit to overcome temptation, keep me from sinning. By the way, God knows that you're going to at times stumble and fall. He said a righteous man stumbles seven times. He gets back up again. Get back up. We know that the center of God's will sometimes is the middle of the storm, and it's not always easy. Not always easy. But I end with this little story, help bring it all together. There's a little boy that was sitting on the back row of the church. The pastor was taking up an offering, and he had really, he really made an impact on that little boy that day about the importance of being able to give, building of God's kingdom, and giving the tithe, and giving to missions. And, and that little boy was sitting back there, and he checked one pocket, and boy, there was nothing in there. And surely I have something in here, and he pulled it, and there's nothing in there. And, the offering plate got closer and closer and closer and he didn't know what to do. And so when the plate finally hit his row, he finally had this moment of inspiration where he grabbed the plate, he put it on the floor and he stepped right in the middle of it. He said, I don't have anything to give, but I can give me. I can give me. And can I tell you, that's all that God's asking of you this morning. God, I wanna be in the center of your will. And no matter what comes, I want to be blessed and highly favored, knowing that you're with me, that you'll see me through to the other side, that you're going to help my life make a difference. And in 2022, as I put myself in that offering plate and I say, God, here I am, I'm the offering. Use me, multiply me, use me for your glory. That's what God's asking. So I just want to ask you this, that question as we wrap it all up today. How many of you are willing to step into that offering plate? How many of you this morning are saying, Pastor, I, I want to step in the offering plate. I, I want to put myself wholly in the center of God's will. No matter what comes, I want to be in the center of God's will. If that's you, would you stand wherever you are? Because I want to pray over you this morning. Those of you at home, I'm going to ask you to stop what you're doing. Stand right where you are. Because I believe as we get ready to start this time of praying, fasting, and reset, and I believe God's really asking, can I, can I put you to the test? Can I trust you? See, it's not a matter of whether God's trustworthy. He's waiting to see if we're trustworthy. That's why he allows tests to come. That's why James said, count it pure joy, brothers, when you, when you find yourself in tests of many kinds, because it's God that's working. He's building something in you. God's testing you to see, are you the church? Are you the people that I can use to make a difference in this community, in this church, in your world? So I want you to close your eyes as I pray over this building. Father, we make this a sacred moment between you and I. All of us who are standing, you see our intentions of our heart. We yield to you 100% all that we are of our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations. All that we had planned for ourselves in 2022. And maybe there's many people that are in this room that have gotten alone and, and begin to craft out what their New Year's resolution looks like, what they want to accomplish, those goals, those objectives. And there's nothing wrong. 
But Lord, we even place those in that offering plate today. Because simply said, we don't want to do anything that would be outside of your perfect will for our lives. You're not looking for perfect people. Just people have a perfect heart. I have said for years that God, our greatest ability is our availability. And we are declaring to you today, we're available. Use us, oh God. Help us to be empowered by your spirit, to say no to temptation when it comes, to walk in purity and righteousness and holiness. And God, to see your hand at work in our lives, our families, our communities, in our city. We believe for revival to come. And I'm going to ask you right now to say a prayer of dedication, just in your own way, where you are. And while you're doing that, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're watching from home. And listen, you've never asked Christ to come into your life. Today is the day of salvation. Right now is your appointed time. You're not watching by accident. You're not in this room by accident. You're here by God's divine providence. He's brought you here to hear this last final message. That he loves you. That he sent his son to die for you. That his son willingly went to a cross and became the Lamb of God, which takes away your sin. He rose on the third day, conquering hell, death, and the grave. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for you right now. That's his role. And he's waiting for you, just waiting for you to say yes. You see, the Bible says it this way, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from all of your trespass, saved from all your sins, all of your false thinking, all your false motives. The Bible says he throws it into a sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it against you no more. That's a brand new beginning, a brand new start. Today, will you listen to the one that's knocking upon your heart's door? Saying, whosoever opens their heart's door to me, I'll come and I'll make my home there. If you don't have Christ in your home, in your heart, speaking to you, all of you online, when I count to three, I want you to put your hands up all over this place. Are you ready? One, two, this is the most important thing that's going to happen in your entire life, I promise you. Don't let pride or arrogance or anybody standing on your left or your right. I don't normally draw it out like this, but I feel so impressed that there's somebody here and you're in the valley of decision. You're struggling. That struggling that's happening in your heart right now, that's God speaking to you, bringing conviction to you, saying, I love you. Come home. Come home. Don't let anything distract you from that right here in this place. Are you ready? One, two, right now. Three, put your hand up. Come on. Yeah, hands are going up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. At home, you're putting your hand up high before God, saying, God, it's me. I need you. Coming to my life. In the balcony, I see your hand. Thank you. I want everyone to say this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. And I am choosing to ask you to come into my heart and life. I surrender all that I am to your Lordship. Take complete control of all that happens to me. Lead me in your path. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just give God praise? Come on. That's a beautiful thing right there. 
Thanks again for joining us today. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelsd.com or any social media platform at faithchapelsd. See you real soon.